Let us pray. Loving God, may what we share together make sense because it is to your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it gives me a great pleasure to welcome back a familiar face to some. If you've been part of this church for a number of years, uh, this might be a familiar face. Um, Sarah, this is not an unfamiliar place to you. And can you share with us um, why that's the case and maybe what you're doing, what you've done since you left um, the beautiful Rabina, why would you ever want to leave Rabina? Oh, look, I tell you what, it's been, it's been an adventure, yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation to come back. Um, I came here first in 2001, um, you know, almost 20 years ago, hardly seems like it was kind of that long ago, but there you go. Um, and I started working as the middle school chaplain at All Saints Anglican School and absolutely loved it there and stayed there until 2006, at which time I, I went... Um, to Brisbane and managed to have twins and they're now 14 and taller than me, which seems kind of scary. But, um, but I've worked in school chaplaincy ever since then, right up until the end of last year, I've been working at Cannon Hill Anglican College. This year has been a huge change for me because I was asked by the Archbishop um, to become the Director of Ordinance and Vocations, which means I, well, I tell people outside the church that I'm in church recruitment. So if anybody would like to be a priest, please see me after the service. <laughs> But I love doing that, and I work with people who say to me, I think God wants me to do something. And so it's my great privilege to work with them and discover what that is. Um, and for some, it, means it leads to ordained ministry. For some, it doesn't lead to ordained ministry, but they're always called to something um, to serve God, to use everything that they have in their life for the glory of God. And that's really exciting because I'm always looking forward five years, because it takes about five years to train a priest and another five years for them to kind of vaguely know what they're doing, because it's an ever-changing job, isn't it? Would you agree with that? Oh, I, I, still, I still don't know what I'm doing. So. <laughs> so I'm always thinking about the future of the church, which is an exciting place. Some people kind of have this view that the church is somehow kind of stagnating and not going anywhere, but you know what? There is great hope, because people continue to put up their hand and say, I have a vision for the church and for what I can contribute to the church. And that's really exciting. People are prepared to invest their whole lives in investing in the kingdom of God. And that's really exciting to me. And so I feel very privileged to journey with those people and, um, and very, very excited to know that the church is going to be in, in wonderful hands in the future. And it's so um, great to have you back uh, to, to see how the community, well, everything's changed this year, but it's, uh, it's wonderful to have Sarah uh, back uh, in uh, our church family uh, today, uh, back home. Um, one of the things that uh, we're looking at have been, this is the sixth week, is the mm -hmm. idea of making God possible. Yep. What does that mean for you? I've worked for close to 20 years in schools where most people don't believe in God. If you've ever spoken to your average school student, they're not exactly a devoted Christian. And so I feel like the principal job of a school chaplain is to simply make God possible, to make the idea of belief in God possible, to move some of those rocks out of the road for belief. Because some of them are very big rocks and it might be a barrier to belief that's about a past experience or about you know what they've read in the media or something that they think they know about the world. And so I've spent a couple of decades helping to remove some of those barriers to faith. And yet what I've learned is that it's always about relationship. A good sermon is, is great and it can make people think and, and we can delve into lots of things about God, but 
But in order to make God possible for people, it's about investing myself and about investing relationship. And it's not just clergy, it's actually every single person who has, um, I believe, a vocation to simply be in relationship with people in order to make God possible for them. Your love for people, your interest in them, your preparedness to listen to their questions um, is what, for me, makes God possible in people's lives. Um, we, we looked uh, last week at the idea that everyone has mm. a story. Um, and story is so powerful in human history, in our lives today. Um, I've always thought a good, good kid's talk and a good kid's story is way better yeah. than any good sermon. Um, but what, what has been your experience in that idea of capturing the idea of a story? And we're looking at story today with a parable. Yes, stories are so, so powerful. Um, I, I talked to a friend just on Friday and she was telling me about a little boy who was autistic and a grade 12 student went down to work with him in their, in their classroom. And all this grade 12 boy had to do was tell a story. And this little boy who'd been running around, he just nestled down into this you know, big boy's lap and they just read the story. And as the little boy kind of got distracted, he slid down and down and down. And the big grade 12 boy just continued to read the story. And he connected with that little boy in a way that couldn't be done any other way, just through storytelling and being very, very kind and present. And he reflected later that, that in the telling of the story, it was though everybody else disappeared and it was just him and the little boy. And I wonder when Jesus told stories, mm. if people had that experience, that as Jesus told parables, the world melted away and it was as if Jesus was speaking directly to that person, that the story connected in a way that a sermon that you're kind of, kind of preaching to lots of people might not do. But it's that connection, that feeling that Jesus was telling the story just for me, just for that person. And I think that the layers of Jesus' stories, he stole all the good material. I tell you what, it's easy to preach a great sermon when you've got great material because Jesus told stories that were deep and had many layers that could be entertaining at the surface or funny at the surface or a little bit scary on the surface. But as you dig, dug deeper into the story, suddenly the wonder of God began to be revealed and that's the power of parables. And I think that's one of the things that we need to really be careful of when we're reading this mm. in 2020, um, because we don't understand immediately the imagery that Jesus uses, so we need to dig in to understand what it is. Mm. And this particular parable, I've heard many sermons over the years, probably delivered a few of them myself, that I think get the imagery wrong, because mm. we hear the word talent, and we then immediately apply it to what we know as a mm -hmm. talent whether that is somebody who's able to sing well or good at sport or do something mm. um, that people notice. And, and yes, it, the, it certainly can apply to that, but if you've ever heard the expression, you're worth your weight in gold, well, that's sort of what a talent is. It was a, a measure of value, um, normally gold or silver, and it was a body weight worth of gold or silver. Now, there's some conjecture in, um, in those who look back at that time. It's somewhere between 20 kilos and 50 kilos of gold. And now, can you imagine having 50 kilos of gold? Even more, yeah. could you imagine your body weight in gold? And I, I was thinking the other day that, that I'm worth much more than what I was at the beginning <laughs> of this season with COVID. Um, everybody's put on at least five kilos I hear, so we're all worth uh, an, an extra bit of gold. Uh, so when you understand what Jesus is saying, when even that one talent 
person. When I first heard this parable as a kid, I thought, oh, he only gets one. Right, one talent, that's not much. But one body weight worth of gold is an enormous amount of money, more than you can do with for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so that, once you understand that, it really breaks open this parable and, and helps Jesus uh, to, to really get to the heart of what he's trying to talk about in this parable. Mm. Yeah, I think it, un- it un- unlocks for me an image of God as being a God of abundance, where what God gives to us is not measurable in our terms, that it's not just this much or this much, but it's more than we could ever, ever possibly use. And, um, and so God simply give, gifts us. And that's the thing about the master. He says, I know you're a hard man. He just gave you a body weight's worth of gold. And he says, I think you're a hard man. Holy moly. I'd hate to see a, one that was really, really hard. <laughs> because this generosity that God has towards us, that, that we won't run out. And I think when we work on a model of scarcity, where we mm. say, oh, I think I can't do, I can't give any more because you know what, I might run out. That's, um, that's a model that I don't associate with God. And this parable, when you know that a talent is that much, whether you have one talent or five talents or ten talents, it's all more than you could possibly spend. So, you know, you're kind of quibbling over, over little things. Um, yeah, and I love that image of a God that gives us so much that it will, in fact, never run out. I, um, not so much anymore because I've got a daughter who can drive uh, her brother to school. Uh, but when I get the chance to drive uh, Caleb to school, um, we often talk about um, what's happening on the radio and what's going on in the world. And the other day, um, the radio was giving away $20,000. Mm. And I said to him, what would you do with $20,000? Would you spend it on games? Would you buy some Lego? And of course, you'd give some to mum and dad. And he just looked at me blankly. <laughs> and then looked away. (laughs) I certainly got the impression on what he was wanting to spend his money on. Um, And I think when we were talking the other day, Sarah had this sort of great Mm. um, perspective of of what it means to think about that abundance Mm. differently. Yeah, I I don't think about getting lots and lots of money because I have enough to get by but I'm quite time poor and I wonder if I didn't have to work anymore, if I had lots and lots and lots of time, what would I do with it? How would I invest my time? I think I've got veggie patches that could look be really great and I could definitely keep the possums out if I had more time to put up barricades. What we do with our time, now those of you who, who are retired might say, actually, you know what, when you stop working, you get busier than ever. I'm sure that's the experience of some people. But I think, where would I invest my time? So, so it's not just about God giving us an abundance of, of material things or, or gifts, but what, where do we invest our time? I think it speaks volumes about what we value in this world, and I think that God requires our time um, as well as some of the other things that we have. And I feel like, for me, my time is very limited, yeah. um, and so I need to kind of change that mindset and say, no, actually, what I have is enough and what I give to God in that time is enough because God will make use of it. What little time, what little time I feel like I have left. Mm. I think for, for me, with a background as an accountant, I always look at these sort of passages and go, oh, yeah, I know this stuff. It's all about money. <laughs> um, but it's more than that. Yeah. Um, it is more than about money. It's, mm. it's what we value, what we find worth in. And I think to actually think that God thinks that much of us that we're responsible for so much, even more than our own value, 
um, it, it really starts to challenge me about how I connect with others and how I value them. And I really think it, this parable is not just about my responsibility with what I've got, but it's also about my responsibility with who I'm presented to journey with. Mm. Oh, yeah, and, and I think the, the three men in the, in the parable, I sometimes think, what if they had worked together? What if they had actually said, we've all been entrusted with so much? I work with people individually with their vocations and trying to discern with them and work out opportunities for them to discover what they are called to be and who they are called to be in the world. One of the other privileges that I'm discovering is that I go and get to visit parishes and the challenge that I put before communities of faith is what is your shared vocation? What is your vocation as a community? Because here in Rabina, your context is different from every other parish in the diocese. The people you have in this church are different from every other, every other parish in the diocese, every other church, every other denomination. This is a unique community which has been gifted and blessed and given one and five and ten and probably more than that, um, talents of God's blessing. And I wonder if you've ever thought about what is your vocation as a community? How do you relate to the community in which you are placed? And when I first came here, this church, there was nothing out there. Everyone thought, that's ridiculous. Why are you building that giant church in that empty field with that strange Rabina Town Centre thing there? It was literally just nothingness. It was a, you're kind of a desert. And look what's grown around it. The vision for this church was a, was a church in the marketplace. And that's exactly what it has become. You are uniquely placed here to invest in the lives of the community which is thriving around you. How you live out that vocation as a community is up to you. And how you work together to use the blessings that God, God has given you is something that only you can discover. And, you know, we watch excitedly as every community discovers their vocation and pursues it um, in a way that no other group of people could do. It's your special vocation. And I'm learning that as I go and visit parishes. Um, and I hope that, you know, maybe one of, one of my jobs in this job is to go and say, hey, discover your vocation as community as well as your vocation as individuals. I'm going to pray. Lord, we do thank you that you challenge us with the abundance that you bless us with. Thank you that you've entrusted us with more than we can handle on our own. Help us not to cling too tightly for mm -hmm. fear that, that we don't have enough or we're not enough. Help us to see ourselves in the way that you see us and see each other in the same way too, that we might catch this shared vision that you are a God who longs to see your people mobilized, excited, and engaged in the mission and the work of making you possible. We thank you uh, for the foundations that you've laid in this place, but we thank you more for what is yet to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.